This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Tom Hodson, and our guest today is your normal Jazzed About Work host, Bev Jones. This is the second of two shows in which we talk about some of the insights and strategies in Bev's new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Today, Bev says that you won't be at your best if you don't take care of yourself. A key to thriving at work and in life is to cultivate well-being. That means focusing on four realms of wellness, your physical, spiritual, and emotional self, as well as the state of your brain and mind. In our conversation, I share some of my own self-care challenges, and we discuss ways to promote your well-being, like cultivating gratitude, acting with kindness, exploring approaches to mindfulness, and spending time outdoors in the natural world. Bev, I, I know in your new book, Find Your Happy at Work, uh, you, you talk about not only work, but you talk about personal care uh, and how that interrelates with your career and how that interrelates with your job and your job satisfaction. So let me tell you, um, I've always been forward-driven uh, my entire professional life, uh, obsessed. Some people may say workaholic, other terms may, you know, be applied, but during the pandemic and during this period, I've gone from one extreme to the other. And let me explain, this is a long winded build up to my question, right. but, but I've gone from saying, okay, I have to be totally, totally focused. I have to be in the best physical shape. I have to eat the best foods. I have to exercise. I have to do all the things that I normally didn't do during the pandemic. I've got to be top of my game. And that lasts a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe two or three weeks. And then it goes, what the hell? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm... You know, I'm working, you know, I'm doing okay, but, you know, if I do it now or if I do it this afternoon or if I do it this evening, you know, uh, what's on Netflix? Uh, (laughs) I sit on my ass and I do nothing and I get more bogged down and more mired in in my own self-pity during that period of time and it's seems to be one extreme or the other. I'm having a real hard time finding that productive middle ground. Am am I unusual? No, no, you're very human. You're very normal. (laughs) I don't know about that, but... That is how um, I think we often get started is thinking, I want to do something but not making a plan. Maybe we're just trying a little bit. And if you don't make a plan, you never get there. So what I've 
done in this book is, is try to make it clear that if you, you can't do your best work, if you're tired, if you're sick, if you're not in a creative mode, you can't do your best work unless you're, you are on the top of your game physically, emotionally. Um, it takes that to be your most creative self. And so the way I find has worked for me and I work with my clients is to say, all right, from now on, you have to treat maintaining your well-being as a fundamental part of your job, of your career, because it is so linked to your output, to your success. And if you were working on something new on the job, um, you had a new kind of recording or a new product you're going to offer, Tom, I know you, you wouldn't just do it for a little while and get bored and walk away. You'd have a plan. You'd have milestones. You'd work toward it. And if you were to say, all right, self-care is going to be a fundamental aspect of how I manage my work life and um, create milestones and build habits. And uh, one thing that's really important is keeping records. Um, watching where you are in the process, all the things that you know how to do with projects, if you apply that to yourself, then you're going to get somewhere. Let me ask you, and you're a a very busy woman. You just uh, have a new book that's being released, and I know what that takes uh, out of somebody uh, to to do all of that. Um, You have always been... Throughout your life, the 50 years I've known you, you've always been a person that been able to balance work and uh, activities that you like, whether it's reading or whether it's gardening or whether it's your dogs or, or learning something new or socializing. How have you done that during this pandemic? How have you been able to achieve that balance? Do you have like a routine I, I know you're early riser, you're early to bed, but do you have a routine that you follow? Is it ad hoc? It's something that I'm always having to work on. I Every um, New Year's, every September when I feel like it's back to school, the start of every summer, I come up with a plan. I start fresh again. It's something you have to keep working on. But I think the leap that I made years ago, um, when I was still a lawyer, and when I was not enjoying all the things you mentioned, there was a time as a young lawyer that I thought I had to work every hour of the day in order to show that I could be just as productive as a male lawyer, just as valuable. Um, and I, it's not when I did my best work. I certainly wasn't happy, I wasn't myself, I wasn't creative, that kind of marathon period was not productive. And I figured out along the way that um, I had to treat every part of my life as one thing. I don't have work and the rest of my life. It's all one life. Um, And so I I manage my self-care, my leisure activities, um, and my um, paid work on the same calendar as part of the, the same thing. All the same. All the same. And I treat uh, taking care of myself and uh, eating well and 
uh, getting exercise just in the same way that I treat getting back to my clients and writing so many minutes a day if I'm you know, producing a book or something. One of the things that that has struck me, and again, I'm this is <laughs> confession time. I I feel like during the pandemic, I have guilt feelings when I'm not working. You know, I've had my periods where I just the hell with it, and I sit on the couch and become a lump. But but most of the time, because now I'm working from home. If I'm not working, if I'm not at my desk, if I'm not at the microphone, if I'm not uh, on the computer, I feel like I'm not doing my job. It's become more ever-present. When I went to the office and came home, I had a demarcation. Now I have no demarcation. And it seems to have spilled over into my personal life. So if you were my client, Tom, maybe one of the things we'd do is we would do a mind map, you know, sort of a, um, a, a diagram that's like a spoke and um, right. with branches going out from the center of the wheel. I, do a mind map of everything you want in your life with the idea that your work is integrated to your life, but it's not your whole life. So you look on one page and you see these are the things that you value and you're going to have um, spending time with people you love. You're going to have exercise. You're going to have learning something new. I know you have artistic pastimes and Mm -hmm. other things you enjoy. All of those are going to be on the map. Now, you can decide how to divide up your time, but I promise you that if you... uh, can do your drawing or reading or uh, talking with good friends, if you can do those things without feeling guilt, if they're part of your plan and you can fully engage, you're going to be more productive in your creative work. Talk to me about the role of family and friends in self-care because uh, you know, I read that friendships are, are important and vital. We've been taken away from a lot of face-to-face contact with, with people we, we know and, and care about. But family's taken on a new sense for me. Uh, is that part of this as well as part of self-care? Yes, And it doesn't have to be family, but it has to be um, a close circle of supportive relationships, which for many people is family. Not biological family. can be family of choice. Exactly. Okay. Um, um, There's been quite a bit of study, but in particular, there was a um, long-term study out of Harvard looking at um, college students. Oh, I think, I can't remember the exact dates, but maybe... 70 years ago, and uh, later on in the study, they uh, added to the sample inner-city residents of Boston, and they tried to look over the years and see who was happy and what were the factors that contributed to happiness, Mm -hmm. and it turned out not to be money or job title or all of the things um, that you think might make you happy. The, The biggest thing is 
strong social connection. And the people who had it not only were happier along the way, they also lived longer. It's having a circle of um, supportive relationships is, is critical to everything in your life, including um, your health and, and the creativity you bring to your work. So there are a lot of ways to get there, um, and different people have different uh, levels of need for companionship, but it is um, vital, and it's not unusual as people get older and start to realize what really matters is that's what they focus on more. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. My wife is a very social person, and uh, she sometimes looks at me when I'm, you know, storming around the house and says, get out of yourself. Get out of yourself. And I thought, that sort of sounds like what you're talking about. You yeah. go beyond your own your own head and your own emotions to get out of yourself and do something for somebody else or think about how you could do something for somebody else. The ways that we are most likely to make ourselves feel a little more positive, a little happier, include um, doing something kind for somebody else, helping somebody else. Again, research suggests that the, one of the most effective way to make yourself feel better is to find a way to help another person. And again, it's how we're hardwired. It's just part of who we are. Um, we really need to be connected with other people. That's how we've evolved as a species. I know you talk about self-care being, if somebody's saying, what does that mean? You really focus in on four areas, body, spirit, heart, and and mind, correct? That's right. And what I find um, for myself, again, and working with other people, is that they're all related. And if you are feeling down, if you're feeling bad, uh, stuck, sick, whatever, um, you intervene on your uh, when you're looking at your your patterns you intervene wherever it's easiest so sometimes if I'm working with somebody who is really stuck at work and really tired and exhausted and angry whatever um, if I very often find that person isn't doing any kind of exercise has kind of let go of self-care and the easiest way to sometimes to shake them out of it is to encourage them to get some kind of fitness exercise program and even though they've come to me because they're stuck in their work 
um, if I can inspire them to start uh, managing their exercise, their physical health, then we can get to their um, their attitude, into their creativity, into other things. So the do you want me to just quickly go through how yeah, I see those things? Yeah, but l- let me ask you first, yeah. are, uh, and then I do want you to go through. Are these linear body, spirit, heart, and mind? Are, are you, know, you start with the body, you go to the spirit, you go to the heart and mind, or are they all uh, uh, assembled together? They're all assembled together, and they're hard to separate. And very often, um, one event um, will impact all four at the same time. So that's why you start wherever it's easiest. They're tightly woven together. If you're, um, if you're feeling uh, really angry and depressed about something, your body's going to react. Maybe your shoulders will get stiff. You'll get a stomach ache. Um, you'll, maybe in your brain, you'll get hijacked by a voice saying, uh, I hate this. I don't like this. I want to get out of here. And that'll interrupt things. Your your whole self um, can be engaged in that negativity. But the good part is that you can intervene in whatever way seems accessible to you in the moment. So, but you look at exercise, you look at sleep, uh, nutrition, you know, tell us some of the other things that we ought to be looking at on our checklist here. Well, one of the things I focus on more than certainly um, I would have years ago, and that is on your brain, on your mind and your physical brain. We used to think that you only had um, so much capacity in your brain, and it got worse as you got older, and um, there wasn't much you could do about intelligence. That is all wrong. Our brain is amazingly plastic in the sense that it can sh- uh, shift and grow and change. We can manage the health of our brain and the capacity of our brain and the operation of our brain to some degree by doing things like learning things that are new, um, you know, exploring um, the voice in our own head and turning it as negative refrains that make us try not so hard, you know, change those. So, so brain health, both the physical brain and ho- how we manage our mindset and our internal voice, I think are a much bigger thing than at least I used to, to realize. And um, so emotions are our sense of values and connection in our spiritual realm and and just how comfortable we are in our body can all be changed by how we um, manage what's inside our heads and so meditation and mindfulness and deep breathing and pausing all of those tools for calming ourselves are going to impact every other part of our body, spirit, heart, um, life. I envy people who can meditate. I, I am the worst meditator in the whole world. <laughs> my, it's so hard for me to keep my mind calm and, uh, you know, sort of empty. I, it just, it, it's the hardest thing in the world. Um, but you also talk about mindfulness. Now, uh, one thing I've discovered about myself is that if I look at my life, I've always lived in the past and in the future. That There's very small time that I've been 
in the present. And that bothers me, and that's something I'm trying to change. You, I've always worried about what happened in the past, what could have been done better, what mistakes were made. And then, as we learned in law school, the parade of horribles of all the things that could happen in the future and contingency plans and plan A and plan B and, and all of that. And if you do that, you have no room for being present. Um, do you have any tips for being present? I know mindfulness is a whole different show in and of itself, but do you have any quick tips on how to do that? Yes, and everybody can experiment a little bit. Classic meditation isn't for everybody. I find I can't sit for 20 minutes and um, meditate for that length of time. I tend to do many bits of meditation kind of throughout the day and, and deep breathing, but you have found your own way doing things that I would call mindfulness activities. You can sit and draw and color. You're an artist and you are totally engaged. You're your authentic self. You're not worrying about the past and future. You're true. That is a meditative practice for you. You like music. Uh, That's something else that's engaging. Um, There are ways that you, I think, center yourself when you're really engaged in work. You, mm-hmm. When you're doing an interview, you are totally into it. Those are all ways when you're in the presence and you're letting go of that preoccupation with the past or the future. And the, so you have more healthy habits built into the way you've created your lives than you give yourself credit for. But maybe just acknowledging them and counting them as important and leaving time for them. Maybe that's your next step. I I remember back when I was a trial lawyer and I was in a jury trial, I often would say that it was a, a great relief for me because I had the luxury of focusing on one thing and one thing only from the beginning to end, and, and now reflecting back, that was a form of mindfulness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and when you're mindful, you're like totally authentic. You're not trying to impress anybody else. You're just sort of engaged in where you are at the moment, and you were certainly that. So I want to talk about nature, and and. I, I want to bring you out a little bit uh, uh, about this. I know you talk about it in, in your book, um, Find Your Happy at Work, but you have been um, your form of naturalist as, as long as I've known you. And you seem to take great um, relief in in that you have a, a beautiful house in in the city, but you also have this beautiful farm in in the Virginia mountains. Uh, talk about the role of nature in your life and how we may, perhaps on a smaller scale, replicate that. Well, I've always known that I need to be outside, and I, I come from a. Um, a family of um, gardeners. My both my parents grew up on sheep farms in New Zealand, and um, so this desire to be outside—that's just—I've always known that's part of who I am. And I discovered 
meditation and mindfulness activities years ago when on the weekend, you know, I'd work in law all week and then I'd get a couple of days in the garden uh, on the weekend and it, I could feel myself calming and I was just a nicer person after a couple hours in the garden than I was on a Friday afternoon. And I kept thinking, oh, I wish there were something I could do so I could feel like this without, you know, driving out to the country. Um, so here's uh, what I learned. One is that mindfulness and other kinds of techniques of all sorts can get you that feeling that I thought of as the gardening feeling, but also there's been lots of research about how even a tiny little bit of um, access to the natural world can make you feel better. There have been studies looking at things like if you're in a hospital and one side of the hospital looks at a highway and parking lots and asphalt and the other side looks at a beautiful park, does that make a difference in healing? And there's evidence that if your view is of the natural world, whether you're looking at a hospital window or you're looking out the window of your car, your uh, heart rate, your uh, body chemicals are going to um, change in reflection of the natural world. We seem to be born to be connected um, with the natural world. And as children uh, are much likely to be um, calm and kind and not be bullies if they're regularly engaged in, in the natural world. So if you're living in a city, now Washington is wonderful in that way because there are trees everywhere and there are so many parks, parks, right? Yeah. But um, if you can, if you don't know if it works for you, if you could just spend a little more time outside. Some people say, some research says that plants in your workspace make a difference, um, that even art that reflects the natural world makes a difference. I, I still want to go out and get in the dirt, but um, if you're in an urban environment doing anything that helps you have some awareness of the natural world, whether it's you know look, looking at the birds that are around a, a cityscape, that can be helpful to your your physical self and your state of being. Bev, you've always been great with flowers and and fruits and and vegetables. Your garden is is always a model of envy, but you talk about it sparking creativity. How how does it spark creativity with you, and how might it spark creativity with others? When we're working on anything for too long, we tend to start getting in a linear place, and we don't make connections in different parts of our brain, different parts of our body. Linear place, you mean, you know, task-oriented from A to B to C to D, and I can't diverge diverge any place along the way, right? Exactly. Okay. So one thing is simply the relaxation, that the detachment from your work um, that's so thorough sometimes when you're in the natural world, it you kind of can relax, and all of a sudden your body can... Uh, relax, but your mind can be more creative as it makes connections between different things that you've encountered. So it's a way to kind of stimulate um, your imagination. Uh, it can um, change your openness to other people and to actually to pets and other animals. If we are around nature, we tend to feel kinder and more generous, and therefore we're more open to ideas from other people. So in s the older we get, there is a tendency to resist change, but when you're more 
relaxed and open. And one of the ways to get there is nature. You're more likely to spot creativity and new ideas and welcome them uh, than if you're you know, caught up in your own rut. One of the things that I overlooked and I don't want to, and I, I want to circle back to it if we could, and you talk about in your book, cultivating gratitude. Now, that's different than mindfulness. It's different than kindness. It's different than, than the other things we've talked about. Why is that important? When you're feeling gratitude, um, you are not experiencing anxiety. It's pretty much impossible really? to feel much of those at the same time. Wow. So if you are in a difficult situation and you can sit down and make a list of the, the good parts of the challenge that you're facing and also the things you're grateful for, the, the friends who are helping you out, the the expertise you've developed, whatever it is. And then really, I what I've experimented with is trying to imagine my heart. I might put my hand over my heart um, to help my imagination and try to feel gratitude when I think about my friends or the, the good parts of this. If you can experience thankfulness for some things, your tension level will lower You'll, you'll feel um, more open to possibilities. You're more likely to be hopeful, even during very dark times. And it can get you out of um, a negative anxiety uh, or, uh, you know, just um, negative cycle and help you kind of bounce back and focus more on things that are hopeful. Okay, so wrapping this up, let's say somebody says, okay, I've got to take care of my body, spirit, heart, and mind. I, I want to flourish in, in my work. I wanted to do all this self-care. I want to be the kindest person ever. I want to have mindfulness, and I want to be full of gratitude and I want to spend time in nature and all of these wonderful things, but I don't want this to be like a New Year's resolution where I make it on December 31st and abandon it by January 2nd. How does a person start down this path? You start with something that seems relatively easy. You get very specific about it and you approach it a few little steps at a time. You don't try to do everything at once. You're going to do all, you don't promise to do all of those things. You say, I want to make a change. Where is a good start for me? It may be that writing in my journal about things that I'm grateful for, for 10 minutes every day, it feels like a good start for me. So you make a, a chart and you, uh, for a month, you say, I'm going to do it for a month. That's achievable. Maybe I'll do it only five days a week for a month. And I'm going to put a check mark here. And um, maybe you can even find a reward for yourself if you keep up the chart. But you, you, you find something manageable that'll move you in the general direction you want to go. And you create a, a, a course of short steps that'll take you to an immediate goal. And at that point, you renegotiate with yourself and then you take the next leap. You don't try to do everything at once that 
it's overwhelming and it never works. How important is it uh, in this quest that we're on to sometimes just be disconnected uh, and and be with yourself uh, so that you can have these thoughts, you can do this analysis, this self-analysis. It seems like we're always connected to something and something's always interrupting us. It's wonderful. And it's just learning for yourself how much of connection and how much of um, alone time and how much of focus on self and how much on focus of other people, finding the balance for you um, is sort of the, the challenge. But back to nature, one of the things I love about gardening is being out there by myself, focusing on something that matters only to me. It's, it's just part of the big picture. And, and we need connection and we need ways to help us to live comfortably with ourselves. Bev, as always, thank you. The book is Find Your Happy at Work. It's got a subtitle to that, but that's the way you can find it. And people can find it where? You can find it um, just about anywhere where books are sold. It's um, available at all of the, the big booksellers like Amazon and the others, and, and you can order it through your independent bookstores. It's really easy to get books these days. It is. It's nice to hold one in your hand once in a while, isn't it? <laughs> I like that still. <laughs> As always, thank you, Bev, for your advice and uh, keeping me on the right track. Thank you, Tom. I always love your honesty, and I always come away with some new ideas when we talk. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. And today we've been talking with Bev Jones about her new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Our tip for today is that a feeling of boredom can be a cue that it's time for you to become more creative and try new ways of getting things done. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you'll come back soon. Thank you.